We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the hills of Strawberry Canyon, I'm Coin Dang, and this is the Golden Bear Cast. Let's go, go Bears! What is up, Cal fans? And for the last time in the regular season, Cal football, you are now tuned in to the Bear Cast, a proud member of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. My name is Andy. Alongside me is my co-host, Rob. We enjoyed that victory together and had several beverages beforehand. It was a glorious time. How are you feeling, Rob? We beat USC. What are the feels? Give me the breakdown. I put out a tweet at the end of that SC game, and it said, I will always love Beating SC. Doesn't matter what the circumstance is. Right? Andy, how many years of a Cal fan did you not witness Cal beating SC? Uh, the gap from 03 to 18. So 15 mm-hmm. years. 15 years. We've, so we've beaten them. If so, if you count that, if you count 18, 19, 20, Oh, we didn't play them in 20. So uh, so 18, and then you count 19, then you count 21. We beat them twice in 17 years. And the two times it happened has happened over the last three years. So I will take those wins. So you would say, what a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. I, I looked at Nam when we were at the game. We, we'll, we'll talk about that, but a little anecdote. I looked at Nam, and he's like, I've... Cal's beaten SC twice in the last 15 or 17 years, and I've witnessed both of them. And I was like, you know who are the, who was the head coach during both of those games? It was Justin Wilcox. And he looks at me, he goes, damn it. <laughs> I was like, yep, yep, I, those are the facts. But, man, it was a – I guess we can get right into it. Like, what a day. It was just a fun day. Right, just overall from the beginning all the way up until the end, it was just a super fun day. I mean, pe- people don't know like what we did 
um, so we can give them a little like glimpse into our Saturday. But, you know, my Saturday comprised of picking up Nam at the airport, dropping off at the library for some project, um, and then picking up later and then picking up some food for the tailgate and then just hanging out at the tailgate for like five hours. We were like 3.30 up until, you know, 7-ish before we went up. Um, you know, a lot of people came through. It was Nam's retirement party uh, as a blogger. So it was a lot of people who we hadn't seen in a long time come out. We had, you know, Scotty came, um, who we haven't seen in a few years, and just a bunch of people coming out. Ed Quinn dropped by early on in the in the tailgate when we were still setting up. We got to see him, hang out, talked a little bit. He was supposed to come back, but, you know, it's SC. He was part of the team that was being on the field, like being uh, recognized for the 91 uh, Citrus Bowl team. So, you know, he probably had a lot of people to talk to and, and see and all that. So we we made sure that we'll catch up again uh, at the next season or, you know, maybe in the offseason. But it was a super cool, like, just day. Um, it was a great way to end a cap the season. Granted, the football didn't really mean much in terms of like bowl eligibility or, or whatnot, but overall the day was a really good day. That was that was my thoughts about day as a whole. What about you? I think it's one was great to celebrate Nam and really the end of you know the proverbial and overly used era, but truly was the closing of a chapter as a big, important new one for him stars, Mm -hmm. which is as a removed cow fan, as sort of the life that I've lived where you live in a world in which seven and five is just okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm so happy for him on a serious note. And it was great to be there. There There's so many people at that tailgate. So I do hope you take pride in that Rob. And I know that twist and Rico, and there's so many people uh, like Brian and others that put in a lot of work. I think is Stephanie Rico's partner's yes. name. Yeah. Um, you know, just so many people that I try to do justice to a few, but to do justice to a few is to leave out many and to arrive at that and just see just how big it's gotten. I remember that tailgate when it was like six, seven, eight people. I mean, it was always bigger than that at times, but the core was kind of, that size and i think what's happened this year is the core has gotten bigger and bigger and that makes it more and more special so to have that as the preamble to the game and to be able to really congratulate trace who's also taking that next step in his career and you know i think that's okay for me to say (laughs) i think so (laughs) i think we're okay yeah it was announced on twitter so you know trace is taking that next step and i mean that's those are the two those are two guys. They came up through CGB Nam. We won't speak about his time before that. And then <laughs> they both moved on to rivals and they've really been covering Cal. Like Trace asks, in my biased opinion, the best questions every single time he's in front of a coach mm-hmm. and has just done an exceptional job along with Nam and covering the program in really an unbiased way and looking at it objectively. So that's where we started. And then to go into the USC game after that felt almost in a way where I, I I definitely was talking with Nick about this, where I was trying to balance a game that does not matter, but does 
-hmm. And because of the fact that we had our favorite guest ever on the pod, or, you know, favorite ever, but like, you know, the, (laughs) our favorite guest, Trey, uh, came, came on and told us about how much the USC game meant Mm -hmm. and the in-state rivals and the fact that USC either offered you and you chose to go to Cal or they didn't offer you. So you're pissed about it. But that's the relationship that they have with that school. So we knew how much the game was going to matter to the players. And so, yeah, the table stakes were unfortunately low in reality because win or lose, it stayed the same. But as you said, the historical context of that win, what I think it meant for those seniors, it was important. It was important. Yeah. I mean, we can look at it in the specifics of like, ah, this was a down SC team or ah, this was a down Stanford team. But like put it all into the context, like if this starts like a small, I mean, we will talk about that in a little bit about SC's future. But, you know, if if this starts a little trend of, you know, coming up in some of these games without being blown out or losing to them for 10 straight years or 15 straight years or whatever it is, um. Uh, that's that's perfectly fine. We won't we won't care about what type of SC team we played. It's just the fact that we perennially lost to them and we're perennially underdogs to them. We're finally a favorite in this game, regardless of how their team's turmoils were. And then and then we beat them. Uh, and and that's that. I mean, honestly, like they are playing for pride slash auditioning for new head coach Lincoln Riley. And and for the record. This needs to be on the record. Cal is one and zero against Lincoln Riley's USC. <laughs> That's a on a technicality. It is generous and important. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's can we talk about the sort of setting the stage for the game itself? Sure. And just how weird it was because you do have this transition taking place with Lincoln Riley having been announced as the new coach at USC, you have Dante Williams, who's still leading the USC team. You have a portion of players that are then protesting the fact that Williams isn't going to be retained. Allegedly. Allegedly. And you arrive at the stadium to what is normally 75% USC fans Mm -hmm. to find it dead ass empty with one small pizza sliver of a section Filled with the USC band. And then to make things even more weird, there were at least 20 more band members than there were football players on the USC sideline. (laughs) Oh, boy. That was just the weirdest sight to see that. It was the most empty sideline. Our sideline against Arizona had more people than the USC sideline had against us. Yep. I'd agree. It was a, it was a sight to behold. Like, and the student section was filled out. I was like very surprised. You know, it's an eight p.m. Student kickoff. Student section like, was packed, and it was so cold. It was so cold. Eight p.m. Like it's dead night, right? And there's there, it's still packed, and they stayed until the end. And we also rushed the field. <laughs> so like there, it's just walked the field, walked onto the, the field. field. Yeah, and you know I didn't because both my dad and I were like. I think we're okay. Yeah. <laughs> Been there, done that. We want to save those maybe for others. It definitely took a picture. 
Yeah. Because you have to memorialize the moment. Yep. And I fully support anyone that did go on the field. But it just, and that's the thing, Rob. That's my thing with this game. When I was going into this game, I was pretty excited about the fact that we had an opportunity to really just kind of smack USC. And what ended up transpiring was, by and large, what I looked at as a pretty competitive football game. Yeah. USC kept moving the ball on us, and I couldn't, when they scored that first touchdown, I was like, we might lose this game. Yep. Ten minutes prior, just to give you guys an idea of what I was saying, I had turned, my friend had asked me, are we going to win this game? And I said, you can take it to the bank 100%. We're going to win this game. And then he looked at me after we scored that touchdown and was like, 100%? <laughs> and doubt crept in. So I was disappointed in this game because of mainly our inability to move the ball on offense. And I felt like there was an opportunity to put this game away and we just... Couldn't do anything. This was the type of game that we lost most of the year. To me, the offense really didn't do that much. Like, what did we score? 17 offensive points and like got super fortunate that one of those, the field goal had an offside so that we could redo it. Yep. So realistically, the offense really struggled and didn't push the ball that well. We didn't run the ball that well. We got beat on the line. We got like, so we got beat in the trenches. Um, I, you know, and that was on both sides of the ball. USC looked more athletic. They looked like they had more talent. Their quarterback was throwing like Jackson Dart was throwing a good ball. And then honestly, luckily for us got hurt. They're not like you never want to root for an injury, but it did swing the game because when Miller Moss, Miller Moss came in the game, future Cal starting quarterback, (laughs) He looked, you know, like a freshman did. And and so I didn't walk away from it with like the exclamation point that I had really hoped it would have been. Mm -hmm. I still walked away with the same frustration in that the Arizona game was the game that cost us bowl eligibility. And that is just a brutal pill to swallow. But also, like, this offense has problems. And I think I was more in than I was out on what this offense could do next year. And now I sort of look at it and I was like, I think this pushed me out of the Bill Musgrave era and into, like, I was looking at the other, I was looking at, you know, the air raid that Graham Harrell is running and was like, that looks way more effective than what we're currently doing. So I don't know if you took that same thing away. And I'm like wondering if, you know, I don't want to be too down here, but it's just one of those things where I distinctly remember after the game, like normally I'm super optimistic, super upbeat about things. And I just sort of felt like we got away with one. I mean, look, let me run you through some of the stats, right? I have the, the game book up here. Cal 13 first downs, USC 25. Cal net rushing 88, USC 144. Cal net passing 177, USC 265. 
That's an average of 8.4 per attempt and 6.8 per attempt for SC. Two passing touchdowns for SC, no passing touchdowns for Cal. Total offensive yards, 409 for SC, 265 for Cal. Total offensive plays, USC 79, Cal 52. Like, if you looked at those stats, those raw stats alone, we're not winning this game. <laughs> if you just look at those raw stats, the raw numbers, we're not winning that game. Uh, but a couple of defensive plays, a couple of uh, special teams plays that breaks our way, and we're in it. We, I mean, look, like the time of possession too was like split evenly down the middle. Like we had, it was eight to eight minutes to seven minutes in the first quarter, then basically seven minutes apiece in the second. Then it sheer it shifted totally towards SC where they had SC had over eight minutes in both uh quarters of the second half and we just passed six minutes so it was one of those games where if I look back at it and I'm looking at the numbers now I'm like wow how did we win yeah I don't I just if I were just given this box score I'd be like I don't know how we won um yeah. but and it Credit the USC players, like they played super hard. Mm -hmm. The guys that were in there, mm -hmm. it was like, yeah, it was a small group, but damn, they all cared. Yeah, a lot, uh, and no one folded. But it's hard not for me to like look at SC and you know the fourth down stop that we had, which was a great, great stand by the defense. But then also the forced fumble, um, and then the fumble return for a touchdown. You know, in the force force fumble situation on Miller Moss, you know they were driving down the field, uh -huh. and then on the four, you know, the four down conversion. I think that speaks for itself. Like that was in our territory. If you just switched it and was like, "Yeah, they converted for a touchdown in each," like we lose this game. Yep. So it just wasn't. It wasn't the exclamation point that I think. Look, like we were having a down year and we beat Stanford, but we beat Stanford in such a way that a lot of people looked at that and was like, that was fun. Mm -hmm. This game was very fun, but it wasn't fun for what we were actually able to do against the opponent outside of a scoop and score, which was electric. But besides that, we it was fun for the moment. It wasn't fun for that play. And and we're too far into this thing to not be able to exploit a defense like that. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was like the first like that was really eye opening. I know we did the same thing against UCLA and we didn't exploit a bad defense, but it just has me ready. I'm like people are texting me. They're like, oh, do we have a ton of seniors leaving? I'm like, I don't. I was like, give me change. I think I said this earlier in the season. So at this point, I'm like back on like Adrian <laughs> Martinez wants to come to Cal. Hell yeah. Like I'm down. Let's do it. That's different. And I have no idea what to expect. And it could go horribly wrong, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You know what you're clamoring for, right? You want chaos. In in a, a weird way. Fun chaos. Yeah, you want yeah. controlled chaos, but you want chaos. It's been too stagnant. The water's been too still here for too many years. It's 
that was just a weird it was just a weird game and i remember because my dad you know was it was very cold and was like can we go home like just all we need is one more touchdown yeah and i would have been you know pretty comfortable feeling like i can leave and not have to have anxiety about checking in on this game and it took forever for us to get that forever probably the what like what would you say like six minutes left in the fourth quarter is probably it yeah and we finally broke through but you just you just got to see the talent differential in person and the talent differential in person was was it looked bizarrely big when i don't think like look like we talked about this with utah like in that roster like to me the talent differential at a core at a base core level isn't that extreme but then you actually saw it and it looked to a degree to be extreme. So is that something that you said where, you know, certain programs are better at coaching up our players or, you know, I'm curious, like what does, is there a greater indicator or, or maybe not that, but like, is there a greater kind of insight that we can pull from this? Or maybe I should just completely let it go and just be super stoked that we got the win and like, who cares? <laughs> Well, I mean, if we want to take the long-term look at this, right, I would say, look, Wilcox, I think we can all agree, his first version of his staff was about bringing in guys that can coach up a roster, right? Across the board, every single position, you didn't have many guys that were, like, well-known recruiters, you know? You didn't. He didn't go for that type. But then, so he, he's, he kept those guys. And then once he established that foundation and guys started to leave because you're coaching up guys, right? Which means other teams are going to be on the lookout and want your talent at coaching and they move on or they're not coaching up well enough. So you let them go a la Bo Baldwin and, and Nick Edwards. But then you have the other sides of Gerald Alexander's and, you know, even to a certain extent, coach Tuiati who went to Nebraska as the defensive line coach. So, yep. So what does he do in the second second version of this? He goes, all right, the foundation's there. We need better recruiting. So he goes out and gets better recruiting coaches, right? He gets the Keith Haywards. He gets the Marcel Yates. He gets the Angus McClurs. Um, the only issue with that is that they haven't had immediate impact. You had wished they'd come in and then all of a sudden we're pulling high three stars and four star guys. But we're still, if you look at the recruiting profile, we're still recruiting the same guys. Whether that's due to grades and, and all that, I don't know. But in terms of where we recruit at in terms of like national level, it hasn't it hasn't ticked it up to that next notch. We did have that in 2021 a little bit, but that was also carried by a plethora of, of wide receivers that we had brought in and offensive talent that we brought in, but none at the key positions that we kind of maybe expected with certain guys there, right? Angus at offensive line, um, Keith Hayward at outside linebacker slash DB. Um, but then again, Keith Hayward and Trey Watson both this year, and we can give them credit. We have to give them credit where it's due, where they those positions started to produce as the season progressed. So... Yeah, that's it. Still needs to be given. It, the the recruiting part for them is still jury's out, right? 
we don't know yet because they haven't had a full, you know, one or two yep. recruiting cycles here. But there are key, there are a couple of key ones like that. Maybe I think the offense as and we keep coming back to the offense. Angus McClure hasn't delivered, and the O line play hasn't really gotten any better. Right? It might not have gotten worse, but it hasn't gotten better. And then you have you know Jeep Chris with the tight ends. I have no idea how to grade that whatsoever. Um, <laughs> Aristotle Thompson with the running backs. I think the running back play has gotten better but he still hasn't brought in a single running back recruit over two years. So, like, that needs to change. <laughs> Immediately needs to change. Uh, Burl Toller, recruiting has gotten better. Coaching has gotten better. Next year, I think, is the make-or-break year for Burl Toller because he's brought in so many higher talented guys now, and he doesn't have that senior-laden room. So now it's going to be, can he coach these guys up to take up those, he had the he had a great option of falling back on like Koa and Nico and and Trayvon and and being able to just throw those guys on there and not have to push on some of the youngsters. Like we got away with Jeremiah Hunter being injured allegedly. Uh, we got away with J Mike being injured for the early half of the season. Like we got away with Maven Anderson not playing or Aiden Lee. We got away with Monroe Young just being like the fifth guy in the rotation. We're not going to be able to get away with that next year. Because nope. we don't have those guys at the top, so yeah, that's why it's such a big make or break year. And then, of course, it co- and then the last one of that puzzle is is Bill Musgrave and the quarterbacks, because we have Chase, who could potentially come back, but has base. I would I would assume that the coaches probably want to move on because they probably don't think next year's a win now year, anyways. And the moment you bring Chase back next year, those guys underneath, Zach Johnson, Kai, they're out the door. Why sit here another year as like a freshman and sophomore? You're and then and then we're effed because we have no one left in that quarterback room under scholarship. So I would be I my guess with my just reading the tea leaves of like the situation, I would think Chase is leaving. Um, whether it be to go to the pros or what life after football, whatever it may be, I think I think Chase is moving on. Uh, but if that's the case, Bill Musgrave has only brought in one quarterback in two years, which doesn't help uh, the room. So transfer portal is going to be hard. Like I I can tell you for a fact that like people I've talked to within the program, they're like, yeah, we're we're going to hit the portal hard. Yeah. Unless we can unless unless we get flips like crazy because of all the coaching moves and stuff, which is still possible, right? You know, you see a bunch of the SC guys decommit, you see a bunch of the the Oregon guys start to decommit. Um you see, you know, national other programs start to decommit. So if you can sneak in somehow and and flip some of those ta- some of that talent, maybe that's there, but I think the the good fallback plan, especially knowing the talent that's been entering the portal over the last week and a half, like I think that's the best place to go to restock, and you saw what Me UCLA too. did with the transfer portal, right? So, I think they they know that they can do that. Um, it's just a question of who they come in and can they can they pick it up right away. It's interesting to hear that from the quarterback perspective because I still think Kai is so young. I think he would wait, but what I get worried about with him is coordinator like because bill musgrave was the one that really sought him out and 
was like Ty's my guy. And then, you know, Brash and Casey left. I, without Bill Musgrave, then I would maybe have some uncertainty there, but I still think I can see Kai waiting. And because he's just so young, he's on the younger side. But, you know, for me, yeah, there's so much talent and in both, man, like high school recruits that are decommitting and from the transfer porter standpoint, it's as talented as it's ever been. Mm-hmm. And as I said before, it's the perfect year to be a stable program when there's so much instability out there. So there is a pitch. And what was fascinating to hear when Wilcox was being interviewed was he's like, yeah, I'm immediately going out and starting recruiting. So I was like, yeah, let, like, let's go. Let's get this thing moving. Now, Oregon coaching job, probably a little bit of a distraction. And it's hard to know how much is real there. But, yeah, like, get on the road and let's do this thing. Because I think there's a plethora of talent that is available out there that may not be there the following year. So there'll be far less uncertainty. I mean, there's that's that's why this SC game, like, to tie it all back, is just weirder to me, right? And, you know, I you know we got to take a moment here for a split second. And we just got to acknowledge, like, all the guys, right? Like, I have the list brought up. Like, I'm just going to read you the names and, like, just just take in how many of these guys we have watched play over the last five years and that they're no longer be like they're no longer going to be household names like when we go to watch a game anymore. And we're and a lot of these positions are going to be guys that we've, you know, you, myself, you know, some of the other guys who follow recruiting or follow the team a little bit more will recognize in terms of who steps into their shoes but most of the average fans are going to be like, I have no idea. Like, who's next? <laughs> but let's, I'll just, I'm just going to read. We've got Luke Beckett, Marcus Bimage, Christopher Brooks, Trayvon Clark, Kiko Crawford, Valentina Daltoso, Marcel Dancy, Coin Dang, Josh Drayden, Daniel Etter, Chase Garbers, Ryan Glover, Cameron Good, Elijah Hicks, Matt Horowitz, Isaiah Humphreys, Colin Moore, Sammy Nazal. Gavin Reinwald, Nico Romijo, Robbie Raul, Michael Safel, Daniel Scott, Brandon Smith, Jake Tonjes, Jendel Williams, and I I cannot commend uh Cal enough for doing this, but on that list, dead center in the in the at the very bottom is Bryce Turner. Uh, yeah, that's so cool. Love seeing that. So you look at you look at that list and you're like, good lord, <laughs> like we have talked about those guys since the beginning of the Wilcox tenure. Now we finally see what like Cal 2.0 under Wilcox is going to look like next year. Like finally, finally, finally. That's what I'm saying. It next year will be fun. By the way, I'll say it right now. Next year I'm putting the win loss at eight and four. Good God! Already, we haven't even the, the season. The season, the 2021 season corpse isn't even cold yet. Like it's don't don't, don't even need it. It's fine. <laughs> Would have said it one week ago. Eight and four. We have to be able to make that step level improvement. 
especially with the defense being as good as it, as it can be. Yes, we replaced two safeties. Our corners are, could be absolutely elite with back, more backup coming in. Our D-line should be as good, if not the best it's ever been in the Wilcox era. And then linebackers, we rotated so many guys this year that the linebackers should be deep. And I'm still not convinced that Coin couldn't apply for a medical redshirt. He played one game this year, right? He could. But I, yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's another, like, that's a different issue. It is. But if you build the identity, that's like on offense, I'm so excited for what the offense could look like. One, Damian Moore as a starter with Chris Street to spell. Two, new quarterback, potentially. Three, you are returning most of the O-line. Think you're losing Del Toso. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's it. So you have to fill in backfield one spot there. And then wide receivers. My goodness. J. Mike, Justin Baker, uh, Jeremiah Hunter, Monroe Young, Aiden Lee. Who am I forgetting? I'm forgetting someone. Chris important. Tacos. Chris Tacos. Crispy Tacos. Crispy Tacos. There's just a lot. And then Jermaine Terry, of course, as the tight end. And Latu. And, and Latu as the tight end. I mean, this team could I think that's the the future of this team, I think, is particularly bright. The second that this team performs to that level, Wilcox is leaving. <laughs> that's it. He's out. He's not staying. But if we can hit 8-4, and four, we'll have fun. And then he's gone. Guaranteed. Wow. So, but, so you're saying that that Wilcox goes 8-4 and four next year and he's out the door in the offseason? Gone. And, dude, I legitimately remember like the crazy podcast at the beginning of the year where we say a bunch of things that rarely ever become true. And I said that Wilcox would end up not being the cow coach this year. And I didn't totally expect to end up the way that it did. But what I keep coming back to is let's say these coin flip games that we are punching the walls over and being like, why didn't we win these games? Right? Yeah. Those games, let's flip them. Let's say we beat Washington. I'm counting Arizona as a win because that was a joke. So I'm going to take those two and give me TCU. I'll leave Nevada alone. We just didn't deserve to win that game. I'm not going to turn it around. So I'm going to take those three wins and we go eight and four. Is that fair? Yeah. My, I mean, my I, math's checking out so far. I believe the math, honestly, if you flipped all one possession games, we'd be nine and three. Okay, so even if you went like if you go nine and three, where do you think Oregon is going right now? Yeah, he's they're coming after Wilcox. Without any hesitation in my mind, he's gone <laughs> to Oregon on a deal that we can't match. But I think it, and, it but Oregon makes sense, right? Because he played there, like he he's from there. Like, dude, they everything everything about them is Oregon. right. But what I'm he hires yeah. Oregon ex Oregon coaches. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't the know the whole program. I don't know what jobs. I mean, we, of course, we don't know what jobs will be open next year. But out of all the jobs, like on the West Coast, all the premier ones will have just hired a new coach. So I just I don't know where he could go on the West Coast next year unless something goes Ooh. terribly wrong with Oregon this year or terribly wrong with SC, you know, and they have to fire yeah. a guy like one year in. I I just, I don't see where he could go. 
I see a couple of options. Should we explore them? Why not? All right. Death scenario. Okay. Wilcox goes eight and four. Goes to Stanford. David Shaw gets fired. You death scenario. You literally you literally <laughs> put that into like you just spoke it like into existence. Oh my god. Why would you even say that? Oh my god. <laughs> I called the, it was, did I, it was called the death it scenario. It is the death that scenario. An appropriate title. It is. It is the appropriate title. But that's like a. That's all right. Yeah, that's the so that's, that's that the timeline we want to nuke. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Kyle Whittingham retires. Slot in there. I mean, I can't say definitively. If we go in for maybe a bunch of things go right, we get the right. It doesn't mean that Wilcox is out the door. You know, I mean. But there's enough There's enough right now with this Oregon. I, I just didn't expect to see his name in every single article. Like, dude, he's got pretty solid Vegas odds to get that job right now. Pretty solid. Yeah. Not great. Not first, not second, but third. Decent odds that he's landing that job right now as it is. So I think, and that's five and seven and never having a winning conference record. I still think Oregon fans will riot. I think it's all a bluff. I can't imagine trying to sell that to Oregon fans who thought they were a step away from competing for the college football playoff and then going, and it's, I'm a huge Wilcox fan. Like, I think he's an amazing coach, but I just don't see it. But other people do. In the sense, I don't see the fit at Oregon right now. Right now for what they need. So anyways, fun with hypotheticals, Mm -hmm. I suppose. Yeah. Come back full circle. We end the season with SC in that weird game. And so, I mean, we're going to do an end of the year podcast, right? Um, end of the season because there's so many things that are still up in the air like as you said who knows maybe Oregon does end up hiring Wilcox and not only do we need to do an end of the year podcast but we need to do a potential head coaching hire podcast too like it's still everything is still within the realm of possibility right so we're not going to talk too much about that we're just going to we're just going to talk about like where we are right now and where we think this program is is going to be headed to a certain degree. I don't want to go out too far like next season and all that, but I think the first place we need to start is we need to talk about the offense, right? I think you and I both, I have been off the Musgrave train 
for a while now. Right. I think there's enough evidence. We you know, I talked about this. There's enough evidence because we did the remember we did the countdown of like how many games we would say were were good offensive performances and how many weren't. I think okay, so my 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 question slash answer is twofold. We've we've seen enough games now to know that 2020's offense, like from a systematic standpoint, was not a fluke. Like that offense is what carried over. It wasn't like they limited the playbook like we were expecting them to. Like it, it's the it's the exact same. There might have been yeah. some plays that they might not have called then versus now, but all in all, the play calling, the game flow, um, the types of plays they're calling, all the same. So we can actually take that into account now. I think to a certain degree, and so that plus this season's like inconsistent performances on offense. Um, plus the inability to change the offense and mold it to your personnel. Because I think the biggest thing is you're asking Chase to adapt to the Bill Musgrave like playbook and what he's able to do when it's clear that Chase as a player is unable to do some of those things. He can do a lot of things well, but there are certain things that you're probably asking him to do that he can't. He, like He's not of that mold of player. Um, you're not asking him to stand in there, stare a blitz down in the face and throw like a 25 yard out just on the dot, right? It, it, he's not that type of player, but you have asked him to do that on multiple occasions. So there's that aspect where it's kind of an NFL thing, right? It's like, if you can't adapt, we're going to cut you and we're going to find someone else that can, except you can't do that in college. So you have to be able to adapt. Um, and then the inconsistency of just the scoring points and the, as you said last week, the identity of the offense, like what you're trying to sell and say, this is what we're good at. This is our offense. Like we're going to run the ball and we're going to run off a of play action and we're going to beat you. Um, So yeah, long, a long roundabout way. I'm off the Musgrave train. I think we need to make a change there. I think it's evident we need to make a change there because it clearly hasn't worked out. And I'm not sure if breaking in an entirely new quarterback with all of that right now is smart. And it's a bummer too because I think the thing that it's hard to evaluate coordinators that fast, mm -hmm. I think. But... and. and I think that when you have the Alex Smith treatment, yeah, the rotating front door of offensive <laughs> coordinators can have a really negative effect. Well, coordinators and head but, coaches for Alex. Agreed. Yep. So I think that I I just have found myself holding back from that because of the benefit of you know, a year three, supposedly in a system. The year that it's supposed to be the best. Mm -hmm. But I agree. It's like, dude, we have Latu, we have Jermaine Terry, we had Moore, we had Reinwald, we had Tonjes, and I just don't know where the hell they were. Most games. <laughs> Latu had... The most memorable plays in my mind, Tom just had a couple good ones, but in large part, we just never, the packages 
that I was watching when I was watching the SEC championship and when I was watching, so I watched a bunch of those games and they're using some of the three tight end sets that we can do, but they're using them in much more creative ways. Mm-hmm. And, and so to me, I look at it, I'm like, dude, we have the personnel to be doing the same thing, but we don't do it. Well, maybe we don't have the speed element in certain areas, but I don't know the dude against USC. We started using Nico in a way we hadn't used him all year, which was super frustrating. If you couldn't tell from the tone of my voice in that <laughs> statement. And so I just don't know what to do really. I, I think that if you do keep Musgrave, you're keeping him for two years. I don't think he's going to sign for one. So you're basically investing another two years into that. It's complicated. You're tying. I heard someone's. You're tying your like success, like as Wilcox, right? You're tying your success to the ability of Musgrave to explode this offense over one offseason. Yeah. That's essentially that's what you're doing if you retain if you retain uh, Bill Musgrave. He might. He just might. But yeah, I mean, I think that's where you start. I think you start with the offense and just, you know, what we talked about is like finding someone that's younger. Just a little bit more innovative, a little bit more willing to take a little risk. Fun. Yeah. I, that's so that's the confusion I have is because from a coaching standpoint, like as a staff, right? They are ruthless. Ruthless on the defensive side of the ball in benching guys and starting guys who they think gives them the best opportunity to win. Right? Case in point this year is Chicky. Ruthless. Did not play well to start the season. They bench him. And they play a true freshman out of that entire room, a true freshman, because they believe that guy gives them the best opportunity to win. And boy, was their change correct. It it was a ruthless change, and we had some, like, hiccups along the way. But God, they made the right call, right? But it was a ruthless decision. Like, it was for the betterment of the program and the team. They do that a little bit on offense, Right with some of the running backs, like if you fumble, like the he they do do that. But where is that ruthlessness like applied to the rest of the program? Like if the if the thing is the pinnacle of excellence is to like win games, you have to have that apply across the board. You know you don't want to you don't want to act like a despot or like a a medieval king where you're just ch- chopping block like left and right. But you have yeah. to be able to cold hard facts analyze like every situation and be like that's not performing up to the standard we want unless they are performing up to the standard that they want, but in our eyes it's not the standard that we should be performing at. <laughs> so if that's if that's if there's a difference of like standard, then that's a totally different question. But we're just going to assume that the standard is higher than how the performances were this year because you know we talked to Wilcox after every game, and he you know mentions that you know we didn't perform well, we didn't execute well. So I'm assuming that the standard of of excellence and execution is higher <laughs> than what it currently is at. Given the body language and tone at the press conferences. Yes. So that's We are making the assumption yeah, that Exactly. Wilcox is not entirely thrilled <laughs> with certain aspects. So that's why I'm like I don't see why 
there wouldn't be a little bit more ruthlessness with it. Like, you know, I think even the bold Baldwin, like I was talking to Nam about this uh, on, was it Saturday after the game or Sunday? Like we're a university that can't just because of financial institutionally, like just where we're at in the college football landscape. We're not, we're not a program that can review in hindsight. We're a program that has to analyze at the point of hire or at the point of the action, which in which means in essence, like look at when we hired Bo Baldwin, right? It was the best hire we can make at the time. It was under the radar. It was not anyone we expected, but everyone was on board with him because of his experience and what we had seen him do at Eastern Washington. Yeah. Now, after his three-year tenure here, we realized it wasn't as great as we thought it would be, right? But at the time, it was the right hire to make. I think Bill Musgrave two years ago was the right hire to make, right? He wanted an established guy with an established playbook, NFL, pro-style, run the ball, great. He had some stops where he was excellent. Like, he had Derek Carr's best year as the Raiders OC. But I think after two years, it's clear, at least to me, that he's not the guy that's going to make this offense click and go. And you just need you just need to be able to make those changes. I'm just looking up where we were. I mean, I know people have issues with points per game as a indicator, but that's what I'm going to use. I'm just comparing... Like bull ball. So I, I think some folks might push back, but like, dude, like our offense, it's funny because we say this so conservatively. And then you like look up our points per game and like 97th out of 130 teams, mm-hmm. 23.8. And our opponent's point per game, 22.2, 35th. The defense, man, this is what I'm saying. Like, Keep everybody on defense <laughs> for one more year. And you but it's just weird. Like we keep solving the same problem. So like 23.8 points per game in 2021. Sorry, I'm just waiting for this to load really fast. 20.2 in 2020, the year I tell nobody to care about. <laughs> and 21.2 dude like this in 2019 by and large this offense isn't that much different from the Bo offense. <laughs> it might be like we it's definitely different things but it has this it's basically the same to me it has its moments mm-hmm. it depends on your quarterback being very secure with the football chases TD to INT ratio, like 14 touchdowns, three interceptions in 2019. And you use a stable of running backs. But like, to me, it's, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. It's just not that different. And I think what you have to start asking for is like this problem, like do we, shout out Mike Williams really fast. Mike Williams was the one that was like, yo, Sonny Dykes, we got this dude, Justin Wilcox. He loves Cal. 
he coached at Cal. We want to bring him in to be your D coordinator. And Sonny's like, F you, dude. I'm going to go jump at six other jobs. Oh, no. Did I freeze? No, you're good. I'm frozen. Oh, I'm not frozen? No. Okay. So, I think Mike Williams has many faults. A lot. This is not one of them. <laughs> the core idea of what he was trying to do was would have actually worked. If you just took Sonny Dyke's offense and paired it with Cal's defense, we would be contending for the Pac-12 championship every single season. <laughs> uh, and so it's so frustrating that we haven't been able to do that. So I think, I mean, look, you're right. If it's the literally this. I, I cannot believe how consistent our offense is. This is insanity. 2018, 21.5. And then I'm just going to do this one more time. So 2018, 21.5. 2019, 21.2. It's hard to get more consistent than that. 2020, 20.2. So okay, one point difference. 2021. Come on, internet. 23.8. So, in the realm of 21 to 23, 21 to 24, you're within a three-point... You're within a field goal. Band for your entire tenure. We've never averaged more than 23.8 points since Wilcox has been the head coach at Cal. 23. Holy shit. And the defense, in the meantime, is just stellar. Perennially in the top stellar. 30. Top 35. I think the very worst was 2020, and it was like 45th. Yeah. But that's the very worst. We, we played bad. Yeah. Yeah. And we, and we had external circumstances. Ooh. I mean, just looking, just looking at that, I'm like, you have to make a change. I don't know what you can possibly do over just a span of an offseason. Like, you know, that's never a good, good uh, sign. But... You have something has to change. Like you have to bring in some juice because it and it can't be the same change. No, it can't. It has to be more radical. It has to be. And you take that risk, and you're like, okay, what if it's worse? Yeah, fine. You're probably still in each game anyways because your team is only giving up twenty points a game, so you're in every game with the worst. But it's your the odds are in your favor. If there's a hundred teams that are better than you and thirty that are worse, yes, can it get worse? Absolutely. But what are the odds that it gets that much worse? Not very high. Damn, I just went from like just recently off the Musgrave train to like this. We gotta bounce. <laughs> <laughs> like you gotta purchase another ticket like right now. Like you're on your phone like looking for like a at least a rental car or something yeah. to get off this train. Yeah, there's something something went wrong in this train. Yeah. I don't know where it is. We're going fullkayak.com. Like, we're looking for another ride. We're looking for another destination because clearly this is not working. And that's that's kind of where we're at.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's pretty shocking. It's just pretty shocking to see how consistent that's been. And it still supports, I mean, I personally think that that is the argument. It's the argument to keep Wilcox is that you're super competitive. You're just the right one higher away from really making an impact. I think honestly, that's the one that that's the one thing that you can probably reel in a lot of fans back. You make an offensive change, and let's say we start scoring, what, 28 to 33 points a game, right? You do that, a lot of fans are coming back. A lot. Offense is what sells. Offense is what makes it makes football exciting, like from just a, a layman's perspective, like if you're just watching the game casually, right? Touchdowns is what sells. You know, defense will probably keep you in games, but you're also not going to win unless you score points. You got to do that more, especially in today's day and age. Wilcox's like style, I think, would have worked per- like he's trying to emulate Tedford's thing, like early on in Tedford's tenure. Just a solid defense, and then just a run the ball offense that works. But it does not work in the Pac-12. It just doesn't. Maybe in the Big Ten, you could stay competitive, but definitely worse than Big Ten. What about Utah? I mean, but that's that's why Utah has on and off years, right? When when things go right with the style that they're running and they're effective and efficient at it, that's what gets them to this point of like being in a Rose Bowl. But you look at their you look at their offenses and what Kyle Whittingham has done, he's made the right hires and he's also been ruthless in cutting guys. And he's brought in the right profile guys to make those offenses work. He knows what he wants offensively and how many points he needs to score to stay competitive. It's pretty shocking to see that Ludwig is just, yeah. uh, just dude, been so good. And I just remember working for him. It's, it's just wild and being so confused as an employee of his, like what we were doing. <laughs> and, um, hey, maybe he evolved. But maybe he evolved. He, yeah, clearly. I mean, absolutely. But I think, I think Utah is a is a. I wouldn't say that it can't work in the Pac-12 because I feel like that's the exact thing that, I mean, it's hard to doubt Sandy Barber because she's been so good in, in her career with so many different hires. Uh, it's hard for me to like really go against it. I do think that's the fundamental thing that she looked at with Sunny Dykes. It was like offense sells. Football is becoming a more offensive sport, but the counter is always the Patriots. You can win ugly and be successful, and that can be your identity. Wisconsin's good, you know, as you mentioned, a Big Ten example. It's a really good example. But there are teams that do it, and you can opt into that. But I think the other thing is that Belichick is so good at it. It's like, yeah, he can play a one particular style that's super boring and has everyone being like, why the hell am I watching this game? But he'll get that win, and the next week he can open up his playbook and, you know, they let it fly with Mac Jones. And you know, that's the adaptability that I think you're talking about. And that's the adaptability 
that I think football in this day and age requires based on an opponent, based on a environmental situation. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that they saw 50 mile an hour winds and were like, great, we're going to run a bajillion times. They're going to throw it three times total. Like what would, we would not have done that. No way. No, no way. And I think that that is, that's why I look for somebody younger. And I, and I would say like with Musgrave, when we did hire him, there were younger minds that we could have gone for, but they just happened to get better jobs. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing it comes back to, right? As you said, stability in this market is key. And if you were to make a change, there are a lot of offensive coordinators that are still available on the market. Who are your, who's your top three? Offensive coordinators? Yeah. Oh, God. I mean, the, the first one that easily comes to mind that's available, that's like you would just, you can make a phone call and he'd probably come, is Mike Sanford. Mike Sanford Jr., right? Um, former head coach at, I believe, Western Kentucky, offensive coordinator at Utah State um, with Zach Wilson. Was it Zach Wilson? At, no, Zach Wilson's BYU. Um, Jordan Love. Jordan Love at Utah State. Uh, and then was the head was the office coordinator under PJ Fleck for two years, and then PJ Fleck let him go. You know, we don't know why he was let go, but he just wasn't retained. So it wasn't just like an outright firing. Um, like he's right there, available for you. You know, the other guy that's available that I don't think would ever come to Cal unless he's the head. He's, you're giving him the head coaching gig is probably Joe Brady, who was the LSU offensive coordinator with Joe Burrow in that national championship team. Went to the Panthers for two years and was recently fired, I think, last week. My money bet is probably that he either gets another NFL gig or he goes to Miami as the offensive coordinator there. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. I, there's a bunch of other names I could think of, but I don't know if they would come here or if we have, like, the financial pool to pull these guys. I think that the one that I always think of is Rob Likens. Mm -hmm. But then as I was looking at Rob Likens, I was like, dude, I mean, he's only the wide receiver coach at Miami. He was the OC at ASU. Was the OC at ASU. But this dude, Rhett Lashley. Yep. This is the jump that we're looking for. Took the Hurricanes from 98 to 32 in FBS and total offense. And he became a head coach. Yeah. He's now the head coach at SMU. He was the he was the quarterbacks coach under Sonny Dykes when Sonny first got to SMU. Yeah, devastating. So maybe Rob Likens is the man. Rob Likens would be a good. I, he knows he knows Cal. He's been here. Um, I think he'd be pretty good. But yeah, it would be that would be, and then I like the fact that he's like wide receiver. Like, you know, he kind of was our wide receiver coach. And then, like, that's the guy that can develop that position for us. And we have so much talent there. That's what we need. I mean, Burl Toller's... And obviously, Burl Toller's great. I'm not saying I'm not saying get rid of him. I'm just saying to have an offensive coordinator that can also understand, like, what it's like to coach up wide receivers like that. It'd be really valuable. And especially because Jaden Daniels is going to transfer to Cal. Right? <laughs> you know that ship's already sailed. Like, he's already said he's back at ASU. I know, but one can dream. I don't, how are you dreaming when the dude put out a video said he's back at ASU? I don't know. What, 
who knows, man? Like, you just don't know. Like, they're they got something coming their way. We'll see. What if it's like suspended from postseason play for the next three? Years? I mean, there's rumors about Zach Hill, their offensive coordinator, uh, moving to Auburn as Auburn's OC. I mean, but who knows how long Harson is there because he's a he's an anti-vaxer or like hasn't been vaccinated, and there's like Auburn has vaccine mandates apparently. So who knows? <laughs> I don't know what's gosh. How many people are gonna lose their job because of this? I don't know. I'm just get the damn vaccine, y'all. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. But all right, the last thing we're gonna talk about before we close out this one, and then uh, you know, of course, who knows however many other pods we'll have with the off season. But uh, the last thing I wanted to ask, which I asked Ed Quinn, we didn't get to actually talk about this, but. We need to talk about just the coaching landscape in the Pac-12 and how that's changed so drastically, right? We got Lincoln. We got Lincoln Riley coming into the Pac-12. Like, good God! And that's why all of us like going into this SC game was like, like I don't want to be a downer, but this might be the last time we beat SC, you know, for the next few years, unless we have a yeah. drastic uptick in like our coaching, and you know they don't play up to par. And, you know, who knows what happens with Pac-12. But just judging from how Oklahoma's done over the last few seasons uh, under Lincoln Riley, I'd say uh, it's going to be tough, tough to pull out some victories. But, like, what are what are your thoughts on him coming to the Pac-12? Is that a good thing for the Pac-12? Is it bad? Like, Ed, Ed was, like, fully on board because he's – I think he's a firm believer of – his line was high tides raise all ships, all boats. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of, that's, that's kind of, that's a, it's a wish you have that Cal will, might put it together maybe financially or as institutional support and just be like, all right, like if we're going to compete at all and not be just a middling team, like we have to do a little bit better in the support of the athletics department. Yeah. That's the, that's the dream. I mean, that's what I would really hope to happen. And you sort of see it as it's shifting that the landscape shifts that direction. And if we were to have to make a hire, you'd hope we wouldn't go the Y King route of, you know, try and just really hit on a low probability hire or something like that. Or a retread. You know, assist or retread, even worse. Um I ultimately think Lincoln Riley coming to USC is good for the Pac twelve in a serious way. And I think Cal will have every single game will have more of a national spotlight to it. Uh, being getting recruits that are in California to stay in California is important. And eventually, like when I mean, it's, it's not hard to remember that when SC was at its best, they didn't show Deshaun Jackson the love that he was hoping to get from them. And he decided to spurn them and come to Cal. They're, that can be a good thing if they're considering SC and then we're like, hey, you know, we're we're five hours away from here. We have a pretty good program. So I don't look forward to the actual games because it's it's going to be rough. The only positive way I could sort of look at it is just we've been good against air raid offenses in the past. And if you compete with a team like SC and even if you don't get that win, you're still going to get more attention if you played it close. Yeah. 
right? A close loss against a Lincoln Riley team is going to look a lot better than a close loss against a Clay Elton team. Yep. And so it elevates our program just by association. So I, I think it's great. I just don't think he's going to stay that long. Like odds are, I mean, he's in that job maybe two years. That's my bet. Over under two years, I'd say two years. Uh, I'd set it set the over under two years because I think if he has a ton of success, then the NFL's. I mean, dude, the Chargers are right there, the Rams are right there. Who knows what's like what's happening with McVay right the now? The Raiders. Uh, the Raiders are right there. The Niners are right there with you know a team that's 500 right now. And Cliff, Cliff, the coach I promised would not be successful in the NFL is they have the best record in the league. So this is all. I just don't. I don't know. Do you think he's going to stay that long? I just can't see. I, I could literally see him leaving in two months. This is all going to be hilarious. Like with all of the fanfare and that video that we were watching earlier on Twitter of like Lincoln Riley's like introduction, this is all going to be hilarious when the Raiders come calling in like three months time when their season is over and it's like, you want to be the head coach? (laughs) The crazy thing is like, yeah, yeah. I mean, SC offered NFL money. Yeah. But if if let I mean come think about it like if the Raiders came and they offered Lincoln Riley the same basic deal that they gave John Gruden right you get yeah. you get full control of the team you get full control of player moves everything of that sort and here's your contract that's on par with this with SC except you know benefits are probably better because it's the NFL I don't see him not taking that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think that's the risk. I do think that's the risk. I mean, they, they got burned by Cliff Kingsbury just literally a couple of years ago. So, yeah. Insanity. Insanity. But uh, I think that's a good that's a good place to, to end the day. Um, but we do have some uh, fan reader listener things that they sent our way. So you ready to go through this? Yeah. All right, let's hit it. Our boy, Donovan Frazier, who we actually met for the first time in person at the game on Saturday. Um, he asks, had this discussion quite a bit last night. How do we rank this season for Wilcox? Obviously, the lack of bowl and one loss, one score losses stings, but are we happier having the year ended by whipping Ferd and SC? This is the paradigm that I think I struggle with. The third wind felt so much better to me. Yeah. And I think if we had beaten USC in the same way, you're like, damn, we smacked them. But USC was such like such a in such rough shape by the time that we played them. Just didn't feel as good. I think at as a whole, five years from now, do you look back on this year, you're like, yeah, we beat SC, we beat Stanford. Yeah, probably. But right now, I think it's harder to do that. So in the near term, I think it's more about what could have been. I mean, it's this season, I think, is defined by what could have been. And I think a lot of people feel that way. I just sort of felt like this team should have been 7-5. and five. And what ultimately transpired was, you know, worse than that. And I think a lot of people felt like they should have been even better than 7-5. and five. I th- 
So I think you're you hit all the points that I would I would say. The only point that I would add to that is this SC game is exactly the reason why I have moved on from the Musgrave train. And I've just I'm just coming to realize this, which is we haven't had a win this season where the offense played badly, but somehow the defense carried us to a win, right? Usually all the losses we've had this year are the offense has played terribly and at some point the defense gave out just because they were on the field so damn much having to defend so many offensive plays against the opposing team. That's usually been the trend all season long, right? Yeah. And finally, here's the game where the offense plays terribly and the defense delivered. It felt a little bit like 2018, right? A little of that 2018 or Mm -hmm. 2019 feel. And so that's why I'm like, I don't want more of this. This is the reason we moved on from Bill Bill, Bobo Aldwin. Exactly as you said, we don't need this anymore. This hasn't worked. It hasn't panned out. You haven't recruited the offensive line to to the extent that you need to in order to play this type of playbook. If you're not doing that, then some things need to change. We need change now. I am asking you <laughs> one more time to please make a change. Um, but I mean, this I think this season would probably rank just because of the SC and the third wins, like probably third in his tenure. It's like easily third, right? It's like tw- 2020 is 2020 last. is dead last, but like, but like 2018, 2019, I think are tied for first and second. Like, you know, you could probably flip either, either one. Cause 2018, we beat, uh, we beat SC for the first time. And then 2019, we reclaimed the ax. So I think you could go either way. This would probably be three. So if we're ranking the five years. 2017 is his first year. Five and yeah. seven. And I'd rank this. I'd rank this above that. That's it's a it's an interesting one. That year we had Ole Miss. Yeah. We had at North Carolina, home at Weber State. Sorry, home at, at Ole Miss. Or sorry, home hosting Ole Miss. Good lord. It's late. Lost to USC twenty to thirty in a close game. Well, by that's the, way. the number five USC. That's the Ross Bowers Chuck coming out of halftime that yeah. sealed it. Then we get whooped at Oregon. Mm-hmm. We get walloped by Washington. Mm-hmm. Then we wallop wa- number eight Washington. Yeah, that State. was that was the Friday night game. The smoke bowl. And we lose, yes, the smoke bowl. And then we lose Arizona on the extra point. In in like what, triple overtime? Uh, I think it was double. Yeah. Khalil Tate, yeah. Double OT. We lose to Colorado. Yeah, I remember that one. In Colorado. We beat Oregon State. We lose to Stanford by a field goal. Yep. And then we lose, to, we lose to LA in LA. And then we aren't bullish. to UCLA and Devin Monster yep. by three points yep. to not go to a bowl game. Okay. I think I can definitely say this season was better yeah. than that. <laughs> <one>. <laughs> uh, 
that one is that was a rough reliving yep. of that. Okay, cool. So all right, so 2017 second worst, this one, Third. and then 2018 and 2019 being the yep. best. Okay, yeah, that's probably where we're at. Feels right. All right, next one from your from your friend Shavit. Could you see Moss? I think he's talking about another Moss being a transfer target for Cal this offseason. They were competitive in his recruitment early, and he's clearly behind Dart on the depth chart. With another five-star coming in, plus we know Riley looks to the portal for starting quarterbacks. Yeah. I tried to speak it into existence. I thought Miller Moss, I mean, he looked like a freshman, but you can see what people like in him. I could absolutely see him being available, and he definitely gave Cal a good look. So he's high on my list. There's a ton of quarterbacks that are high on my list, though. So it's just hard, and it's like, how do you choose? I mean, there was also the other USC four-star quarterback commit that I still think we're trying to get in on. No, he's gone. He was Ohio State. Oh, he went to Ohio State? Never mind. Yeah. See? So... This is what happens. Been wrong three times tonight. I think the <laughs> biggest thing here is that until he enters the portal, I can't answer this question. Lincoln Riley could be like, yeah, I want you here. And he stays, right? We can only deal with the guys that are in the portal, honestly. And the guys that are in the portal, like the one, the big name that's been like linked to us right now is Adrian Martinez, who's a former Cal commit. He visited, I believe, Kansas State on Monday or this weekend, and he's visiting us today. We're recording on Tuesday. I believe the the article said he was coming to Cal on Tuesday. His girlfriend plays soccer at Kansas State, so that's probably the one thing that we don't have going for us. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I think people are like, "Do we want like him to come in and be the starter?" I was like, "I don't, I don't care who's if who's coming in to be the starter. I care about the talent level that we're increasing inside of." the QB room because if chase is gone, Robbie Rowell is also gone. Ryan Glover also gone. That's that leaves only two quarterbacks in that quarterback room right now heading into spring Two. that's including walk-ons. We don't have any walk-ons in there because Robbie Rowell's not there anymore. We have two scholarship quarterbacks on the entire roster heading into spring ball right now. If everyone leaves as we're expecting them to, we can't have that. Like, I just want competition. I want talent. And I want experience, like right now, because Kai and Zach are both young guys, right? You want an experienced guy in the off chance that they're not able to go and you need an immediate starter. So if you were to pull Adrian Martinez, Adrian does all of it. He checks off experience. He checks off talent. And he checks off being like a high high tier quarterback and bringing competition yeah. does all that i'm fine with it if he transfers after spring because he does he he knows that he's not going to win the job great i'm perfectly fine with that because we brought him in regardless and we uh, we we leveled up the competitiveness and the talent level to see if because if he doesn't win that job and he transfers that means either kai or zach rose to the occasion and beat him out if they beat him out, that means we just raised our talent level. Win-win. In my opinion. Uh, what? Love that. No, I mean, it's perfectly yeah. said. Perfectly said. Next one from Shavit is also another week with no Damian Moore. Is he hurt or just benched? 
I haven't heard either way. I'm a, I'm just gonna assume that he's hurt because of the the rumor that he was in the the tent um, all game uh, after the the fumble against Stanford. So I'm just gonna stick with that. Either way, I think I think we're fine. I mean, Christopher Brooks is transferring as a grad transfer, so he's leaving. That room just got really short. All of a sudden, now we're down to just four guys. We're down to Ashton Shreddick, who's a walk-on, um, to Carlos Brooks, Chris Street, and Damian Moore. So, three of whom are four-star guys. So, <laughs> I'm here for it. Yeah, I'm running backs. I feel great about. Feel great about it. Uh, one from Pat here. Last game of up and down season and offense with all his experience still sputtering for large portions of the game is, and he put a gif here, inconceivable. The gif from uh, the Princess Bride. Solid, solid use of gifs. <laughs> I think I agree. Yeah, it's, yeah. The last game of the season, you don't even like just open up the playbook. You open up the playbook against Stanford and then you close it all back up. For UCLA and, and SC. Made no sense to me. What's really crazy, Rob, is who do you think had the better single season in their career at Cal? Okay. okay. You ready for this? This is in line. This is in line okay. with what we're So you're giving about. me two quarterback names is that or offensive player names or whatever? Okay. Yes. Chase Garbers, Ross Bowers. Single season? Yeah. Are we comparing like a specific season or just like? No. Their best single season side by side. Mm, I'd say, I'd still say Chase. So it really depends on what you prioritize, but like, who do you think you had more passing yards? Oh, I'd be inclined. I'd be inclined to say Ross Bowers. And it's not even close. Like, he had 500 more passing yards in this single season with Cal. And I remember Ross Bowers is like, nothing to write home about. He passed for 3,000 yards. Chase has never passed for 3,000 yards. His TD to INT ratio was 18 to 12. So, like, it's crazy, man. <laughs> it's crazy. It's wild. It's just wild to think about. So I think, yes, we've just seen the same show for five straight years. And as Rob said perfectly earlier on, it just isn't working that well. Well, this ties in. Pat's second, Pat's a second thing to us was a question. He says, moving forward with Musgrave, do you see this offense having another level? Or do we go backwards with the new signal caller? Is Musgrave part of the solution or part of the problem offensively? I think we think he's part yep. of the problem. And I think that developed even further yep. tonight. <laughs> Andy's coming over to the dark side. He's, he's fully embracing it. Just now. on that one. Just on that one. <laughs> All right. We got another one with Sid. I'm so happy for the seniors who got a win at Memorial against SC. I'm super impressed by the defense, but not so much with the offense. How did you think the offense did against SC? Given all the circumstances, like only 60 players suiting up for SC. I think we kind of talked about this. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Well, if you've been listening so far, Sid, you probably got your answer. So <laughs> it's late. We're gonna we're gonna move on and keep keep the ball rolling. And what I will say is, so I'll give Sid a shout out. One of the things to me that was most special about like 
the game and pregame environment is just like the fact that I was able to be there with my dad is always special no matter what. And the fact that we get to see Sid and her sister and her dad and just the familial ties that you're able to see in experiences that people mm-hmm. have, like that's what's special about these yep. games. And so, um, you know, that's why we keep coming out and should always keep coming out because those moments are, are truly, truly special. And, you know, we had another great moment when I think it was Scott, uh, or sorry, I should say Kodiak that, you know, he was making his own return and, um, and then on top of it, bought everybody churros. Right. And that was like the specialness of that moment. And, what we had with Larry and the fact that we don't get to have that anymore. And so I think a little bit tangential here, but Sid just wanted to shout you out and the community of Cal fans out that still go out there and, and have those moments because exactly like, what are you going to remember in five years that we had a disappointing season or the fact that like I was at the game where Cal last beat USC. (laughs) (laughs) And we had amazing bulgogi tortas. Oh, so good. And apparently found out that KP makes KP grocery store makes delicious fried chicken Mm -hmm. wings, Korean fried chicken wings. That's a good one. All right. We got a couple more, Andy. We got power through these. All right. Uh, At Aheda, I think on Twitter. Yeah. Justin Martin arrives in Westwood early. Ethan Garber seeks out and comes to Strawberry Canyon for his third Pac-12 school in three years. Fan fiction or fact? (laughs) Dude, I mean, would kind of love it, but also like, damn, <laughs> we're going to have to be rooting for Garbers for the rest of our lives. Can you imagine like rooting for the, the back name Garbers on a jersey for, was it like eight or nine straight years? Yeah. Let's, I mean, you could even extrapolate that and say Chase returns and Ethan transfers. <laughs> so let's get Chase next year. Another Ethan, Ethan three, like for... two years of Ethan. <laughs> so what is that? Five years of Chase plus uh, two, seven years, seven or eight years of, of Garbers. Insanity. Got to get a jersey <laughs> yeah. at that point. <laughs> I mean, the thing with Justin Martin arriving early in uh, in Westwood, like who knows? Like you, if you listen to our podcast and you listen to our previews, like when we talked about the to the UCLA uh, insider, um, like dude, Carlos was saying like his his buyout is zero in January. Like, who knows? Chip might not be there, which which means Justin might have to choose another school. Maybe we'll come back to good no. old Cal, but I think that I think ship, that ship has, sailed. has sailed. I think that ship has fully sailed. Um, the last one, Andy, from Brennan Duff on Twitter. Uh, how much do you want to silence that band? <laughs> yeah, I mean, my favorite is just having that moment with my dad where he's, you know, I... Singing out, like making fun of the song, and he's like, "Yeah, like I was like, didn't we play? Because my dad went to Northwestern for grad school, and we went to the Rose Bowl to watch Northwestern, and they happened to be playing in USC. And I was like, what did we do there? And he's like, we held out dollar bills in our hand, and every time that they played that song, yep. So that's what I proceeded to do for the entire rest of the yep. game. 
and i felt great it was that. it was it was a moment awesome it was a moment well that's all the questions we got um it is a victory so is there anything you want to throw into the victory cannon before we close out the day my victory cannon was what i said about family experiences at cal football games <laughs> I'm borrowing that. That's a good one. That's an absolute good one. I can't think of anything else. I'm like, I'm mentally exhausted. Halo comes out tomorrow. Uh, Spider-Man comes out next week. Or not next week, the week after. Where's it next week? It might be next week. Next week. Dude, it might be no, next no, it's week. the 17th. Okay. Next week. Oh, yeah. Spider-Man right. comes out next week. Um, I'm headed to LA next Monday through Wednesday to see family early before Christmas. Uh... And I'm headed back up here. And uh, so it's going to be, it's that time. It's that happy holidays. So if we get in another pod before the holidays, we'll say it again there. But for all our listeners out there and all that, uh, happy Christmas, Merry Holidays um, from our family to yours and to all of your loved ones. Anything to add, Andy? Yeah, we appreciate all of you. So thanks for listening. It's been a good year. Uh, and I said that to Avi, I think. I mm-hmm. literally think I said, good season, Avi. And he said, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> That's the perfect way to end it. As always, all y'all out there, go Bears. Go Bears. <laughs>